Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. You know, David wrote so many of our psalms with the spirit of that, the spirit of, of hallelujah, of just acknowledging who God is. And today I want to look at Psalms 95. And it simply starts this way. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Let us come bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And I love that David, as he's writing these words, they're not just a beautiful song for us to think and remember, but he's also writing a, a strong warning. He's warning this current generation to avoid the unbelief and the ungratitude of his forefathers. He's warning us, don't fall into the habit of ungratefulness, especially when un difficult and unsuspecting circumstances come into our lives, by our flesh, we naturally tend to default towards ungratefulness. You probably all have stories in your life you can remember. I, I was thinking back of in, in my life, I was a, I think it must have been in sixth grade, and we were going to celebrate Christmas at my grandparents who lived in Oregon, and we've never done that before, so we went out and had, I had all these expectations what Christmas on the farm was going to mean. We all sat around in a big circle, and I got a present from my uncle. Now, we all have one of these uncles. This is my uncle. He is kind, but he's a single guy, a little socially awkward, and just a little bit, he's just unique, but you love him. He had my name, and so he gave me a, a, a gift. And as I opened the gift, it said, your gift is in the barn. I, I was so excited. In my mind, I thought this, gift in the barn equals pony. Now, I didn't really think about how I was ever going to get a pony home, and I lived in a city, but I knew I was getting a pony, and I ripped that thing open, and I sprinted out to the barn. I was so excited. I was going to get a Christmas pony. Christmas on the farm was amazing. And I got into the barn, and I see another little envelope, and it says, go to the other barn where they had all of the, the tractors and the combines. And I'm like, oh, I'm not getting a pony, but I'm getting a three-wheeler. I knew it. I knew they were getting me a three-wheeler. Now, for some of you, for the, the, our old school folks, you remember three-wheelers. They don't make them anymore because they were really death traps, right? Power on three little wheels, the ability to flip and roll and go over the handlebars. I knew as a sixth grader, somehow my uncle was buying me a three-wheeler. So I sprinted to the, the shed there right next to the combine to look for my little red three-wheeler and I found another envelope. This envelope sent me out to the middle of the pasture where I had to find and dig, which led me to another envelope, which led me back to the horse stable and on and on this went. And I remember just getting so frustrated, like I thought I was getting a pony and I was going to be all right because I was getting a three-wheeler. Now it feels like I have been going for hours, running from place to place on opening envelopes who send me to another place. And I became so frustrated and angry. I remember now I'm, I'm starting to cry and I'm crying because I'm angry because I'm not getting a pony and I'm angry that I'm on this dumb treasure hunt and it's taking too long. 
and I'm melting down to such a point, finally I just give in, and I go in, and like all good sixth grade boys who are in a dramatic situation, I cry out for my mom, stop this, can you please tell me where it is? And I'm making this scene, and I look back, and I think, it's just mortifying to think what I was like. Finally, they convince him, listen, can we just send him to the final one? This has not been quite as enjoyable as my uncle thought it would be for me. So they send me down to the creek with a shovel, and now I got to look for a certain color rock, and finally I find the rock, and I dig it up, and there's a little Ziploc bag, and in that Ziploc bag is a wordless book. And some of you may remember that, where there are different colors that represent our stages of our salvation. <laughs> I remember as I looked at that wordless book, I put some words in that book that probably weren't meant to be in that book, but oh, I just, I was so angry, and it had ruined my farm Christmas. I look back as an adult now on that moment, and, and it's so disappointing in my response. I mean, how ungrateful I was. Here my uncle made me something rather than just buy me a, a little coloring book. He had spent hours, probably days, putting up all these plans and all these, these hunt places for me to go and buried envelopes and all these things. And in the moment, I was so consumed with my own frustration and disappointment, I, I never expressed gratitude. And I look back now, and it taunts me 40-some years later of just uh, how poorly I behaved. You know, that's what David's saying. He said, you got to be careful. <laughs> we naturally default to ungratefulness. But if we'll take some perspective, we'll look back and see this was probably one of the most thoughtful things somebody had ever done for me. And I missed it. So that's what David says. And if you think about that in your own life, you may have your own farm Christmas story. You had those moments where you look back and it's like, man, my response was terrible. I, I, I didn't have the appreciation that I should have or the gratitude that I should have. I got it my own way. I, I took what was meant to be a blessing and I turned it into a curse. Well, this is the nation of Israel, right? If you're familiar at all with their story, they're, they're notorious for this. And so in Psalms 95, David says, I want to remind you again of the mistakes of our forefathers those times where God provided a blessing and they turned it into a curse out of their own selfishness. So David makes a reference back all the way to Exodus chapter 17. And this is what he says. He says, A whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, right? They wanted a pony. They thought they were having a three-wheeler. And they grumbled against Moses. And they said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, go out to the front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand a staff which you have struck the Nile, and go and stand before them by the rock of Horeb, Strike the rock, and the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders in Israel. And they called the place Mesah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And if you think about this moment, again, it's not that long after Moses had used the same staff to put on the Red Sea, and the Red Sea parted, but they chose not to be thankful and they defaulted towards their natural flesh of grumbling. And their lack of faith and really spiritual immaturity manifested itself in negativity. 
Have you ever noticed the great correlation? There's this correlation between spiritual immaturity and negativity or ungratefulness. They, they seem to go hand in hand and we can see it. So how do we overcome that? That's the context. David says, listen, I want to remind you of the sins of our fathers. This is what they did. So let me tell you how you overcome it. So let's go back to Psalms 95. Last part of verse 7. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as you did with Meribah, as you did that day in Meshah in the wilderness, where Meshah, your ancestors, tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. Moses says, can I just remind you, this is what your ancestors did, right? They, they, God says, listen, you saw me work, and yet you still chose not to trust me in these moments. Abraham Lincoln, way back at his Thanksgiving proclamation of 1863, said it this way. The year is drawing towards its close and has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and health-filled skies. These bounties which are so consistently enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they came. They cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensitive to the every watchful providence of the Almighty God. He's just saying, listen, we've become so accustomed to these bountiful harvests that we have forgotten. I love how he says it. We've forgotten the source from which these things have come. And our hearts have been, become hardened. And David says this very thing, right? Don't harden our hearts. Don't forget the source where these things came and the blessings of, of God. Or you'll end up like my forefathers who grumbled in the midst of God's provision. You've seen the hand of God at work in your life. Then he says, don't dismiss it. Don't ignore it. Don't just push it in the back. Instead, he says, listen, we're commanded, Psalms 95, this is how we break that heart of ungratitude. We're commanded to come before the Lord with thanksgiving. Look at verse 1 again. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. David begins the psalm saying, listen, we need to unite ourselves, unite our hearts around the worship of our God. That's why, again, even this morning and every Sunday when we get together, we, we spend time in worship. Why? It's to unite our hearts around the goodness of God. We're not just trying to fill time. If we we're trying just to fill time, I would talk longer. And uh, so we're thankful that we don't do that. But it's the reality where we're commanded to, to come together to sing praises as we go. And when we sing praises, this is the beauty of it, right? When we're singing, we really are blessing the heart of God. Someone said it this way. Worship is not about what makes us happy but what makes God happy? When God becomes happy, pleased with us, that happiness is reflected back into us by him. It's this wonderful cycle, but worship begins with just blessing the heart of God by acknowledging his blessings into his life. When God is pleased, his blessings flow back in our way. So we worship, right? We worship because God commands us to do that as his children. Then the psalmist goes on to say, I, I, I only need you to worship because it unites our heart, but I want to tell you why you worship God. Let's go on to verse 3. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all kings and above all gods. In David's day, right, Psalms 95, we're living in this polytheistic world and culture. And David's saying, listen, you got to make sure that you give God the right place and position in your life. He is not simply greater than all of the other gods that are out there. He is the one true God that we worship. Today, we don't have this polyistic society where there are multiple gods and we have all these idols that are carved out of gold and wood, but we do have idols in our lives. 
those things that position themselves in the throne of our hearts and in our priorities. I love the way Pastor John Piper wrote it. He simply says this, it starts in the hearts, cravings and wantings, enjoying, being satisfied by anything that you treasure more than God. That is an idol. Paul calls this covetousness, a disordered love or desire, loving more than God, what we ought to be and what we ought to love less than God. So let me just give you some questions to really challenge that in our own hearts and our own lives, right? Do I love or treasure anything or anyone more than God? Do I prioritize anything or anyone before God? Does anything bring me more pleasure than the things of God? Do I place my identity or my status as a child of God above all other things? Do I look at anything or anyone to meet the needs that I have within my life instead of God? Do I seek fulfillment or satisfaction from anything outside of God? And do I seek comfort from anything outside of God? Tough questions, right? There's a, there's a lot of things and a lot of answers that we could give that would probably say yes to those things. Things that we would take and place in the throne of our lives next to God or beside God or, if we're honest, even at times above God. But every one of those things that we tend to put in that place, can we just be reminded, boy, they are a, they are a poor substitute. They're a small letter G God compared to the one true God. And David says, listen, we worship God because he's not just greater than other little gods. He is the one true God. He is the one that should have the position in our hearts and in the throne of our lives of being the sole one who sits on the throne. So David says, if you don't believe this, he says, I want to remind you how big this God is that we worship. Verse 4, in his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands form the dry land. Everything that you see, everything that we experience has been created by him. And the amazing thing is that this entire universe, this galaxy, our earth, was simply spoken into existence. The radius of the earth, 3,959 miles around. The deepest part of the ocean is estimated to be near the island of Guam is 36,200 feet deep. The tallest mountain is Mount Everest, 29,035 feet above sea level. And God created it all with the words of his mouth. He makes the leaves change and then causes the wind to blow all of those leaves on your lawn. And before you can get them cleaned up, he makes the rain come so the leaves are just packed down in your lawn and they make such a mess. But these were created by our wonderful God. God is so big. That he created the world with, with five major climate zones. The polar zone, the mountain zone, the temperate zone, the tropical zone, and the desert zone. And all five of these distinct zones interact with one another on a daily basis, minute by minute. And they impact the weather around our globe perfectly. An amazing creator. Our, our, our God is so big that sometimes we fail to see his goodness and his unique workings. There's this wonderful region in, in, in Mexico where hot springs and cold springs are found side by side. And because of that, this natural phenomena, it's really a convenience to the village and the people that live near to that. The women are able to come and in the hot springs, they're able to boil their clothes in the hot springs and clean them and then take them right over there and dip them and rinse them in the cold springs as they prepare. 
And a tourist came by one day and he was watching this procedure and, and commented to the Mexican guide that was there. He says, boy, they must think Mother Nature is so generous to freely supply such an ample clean of hot water and then cold water. And the guide replied, no, senor, there is much grumbling because she does not supply soap. And the reality is this, right? I mean, all that God's provided, and we're still looking for what God didn't provide. And we miss the blessing of God, and we focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have. David says, man, our God is, is so big. He goes on, continue on. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. And in his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So come, here's what he says, come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are his people, the people of his pasture and the flocks under his care. David says, listen, if we don't just worship God for how big he is and what he's created, can we remind you that we worship God for a very personal reason, that he's adopted us as his children, that, that we are the flock of, of his pasture, that we are his people, that we have been blessed and given so much because of who our Father really is. Psalm 95 reminds us to look back at the faithfulness of God. You know, these last two years, where have you seen the faithfulness of God in your life? Right? There have certainly been lots of disruptions and even some significant loss over these last two years, but where have you experienced God's sustaining grace and God's sustaining goodness in your life? I want you to take a moment and think about that. In this last season, this last year, where have you experienced where God has sustained you and God's grace has shown to you? You see, the children of Israel, they quickly forgot, again, what's the, the pattern? They quickly forgot that they had been delivered from Pharaoh and that God delivered them not just to let them die in the wilderness, for God never forgets his faithfulness and his people, and the nation of Israel is at that point. They were forgetting this main thing. God didn't just save us to cause us to have turmoil and, and to die in a desert. God saved us for a purpose. And so don't forget his faithfulness in the past. So when we look within, even this morning in our time, as we look in and are reminded of God's presence in our life, even when there's struggle in the present, the presence of God is still there. And the reality is we just have to choose to see where God is working. So I'm thankful, and I'm blessed this year, as many of you are in the same way. I, I'm thankful for the spot that I find with my car that's at the far end of the parking lot because it means that I'm capable of walking and I have legs that work. I, I'm even thankful for the taxes I pay, sort of, because it means that I'm employed, right? I, I, I'm thankful that the clothes that I have are beginning to fit a little snugger than they did last year because it means that I have enough to eat and maybe a little more than I need to eat, but it's a blessing. I'm thankful for the lawn that needs mowing and these leaves that I've got to continually rake up and windows that need to be cleaned and glutter and gutters that are full of leaves. Why? Because it means I have a home and a roof over my head. I'm thankful for this huge heating bill that we're all experiencing this month. Why? Because it means that me and my family that we're warm. Thankful even for all the complaining and griping we may have about the things of this world and country and government and all these things. Why? It means that we have free speech and the ability to enjoy that freedom in our country. 
thankful for the alarm that goes off. And after I hit the snooze five times and finally get out of bed in those early hours, it means that I'm alive and I have breath to take for the next day that what God has for me. I'm grateful. Thankful for the weariness and the achiness of my muscles at the end of the day because it means that I have done something productive with the hours that I've been given. See, I, it's just perspective, right? We choose to be thankful in these moments. So the issue really is not is my cup half empty or half full. I'm just thankful that I have a cup at all. And if I have that perspective, gratitude begins to resonate from me. So at this very moment, right, take a moment where you are and, and look around the room or the setting. What do you have to be thankful for? Who do you have to be thankful for even during this time? We don't just look from without and we look from within. What do you have to be thankful for from within? What God has done in you and through you and where God is growing you even in this last year. See, Psalms 95 reminds us, don't let the struggles of today overshadow the blessings of today. David says, if we'll remember that, if we'll let that resonate in our hearts, we'll avoid making the mistakes of our forefathers who chose to grumble rather than to be grateful. Let's pray together. Father, today on, on this day, as we close out 2021, Lord, there are many circumstances and many challenges, but the thing that has remained consistent has been your word and your character, and the fact that you are our God. So Lord, today we thank you for that. We worship that. We celebrate that. As David says, God, we celebrate on how big you are. That you spoke everything into existence with the mere words you spoke. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us in the past. And as we look in our lives in this year and the years past, and even amidst some of those challenges, we thank you for how you have been consistent. We thank you for how you have provided for us all that we need. Lord, as we think of today, we think of the blessings that sit around us in this room as we watch together. We think of the blessings that we will experience the next day we head into our work. Today, we just want to say as a people, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for not forgetting us. Thank you for the truth of Psalms 95. And may the promise of that lead us into this next year with great expectation. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church slash give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.